Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the program. Always phenomenal to be in for Jim. Be a small part of the biggest and most important show in our industry. Coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket Cam. Brian Weber with you. Thank you for spending part of your Friday with us. We're going to wrap up the week with a lot of energy and a ton of content. There is news connected to Deshaun Watson's disciplinary outlook and the NFL still waiting for a federal judge to make her ruling. That's going to be the focal point of how we jump into the program in just a few moments. Baker Mayfield is now in Carolina. He passed the physical. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how that could play out for the former number one overall pick. We're going to try to come up with a different perspective today. I'll give you the view from Vegas. The Sharpies in the desert don't seem to care at all that presumably it's going to be Baker instead of Sam Darnold under center. And there are a lot of signs that point to Baker Merely being a one-year rental will get there straight ahead. We remain on Kevin Durant's watch. I'm even getting tired of the bit. Watch, 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 watch. Kyrie Irving still trying to force his way out of Brooklyn. So, because I know how it feels to be satiated, full in general, and when we're trying to scrutinize a topic, I'm going to allow other voices to give us NBA analysis, namely in 40 minutes, we'll check in with Jeff Zilgit. He covers professional hoops for USA Today, and we're going to follow what I believe is a winning blueprint. I never overwhelm you with guests, just one per hour. So after a conversation with Jeff, hour number two, we talk to Sean Watson, Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, and the rest of the pertinent stories across the NFL with just a few weeks remaining until rookies report, training camps get underway, then it's officially football season. Looking forward to checking in with Josh Alper or ProFootballTalk.com. Final hour of the program, we have baseball insights provided by Bob Nightingale, the veteran from USA Today, and I'm going to talk some baseball and Aaron Judge's pursuit of history, if he gets to 65 home runs, is anybody outside of my hometown, the New York tri-state area, going to care nationally? That's going to be how we start hour number two of the program. So with that, I'm not going to go through the whole soliloquy about how I handle my business, how I try to be clone-friendly. If you're watching on television, the outstanding simulcast on CBS Sports Network, you know it is a pocket square Friday. If I'm lucky enough to be back later in the summer, I might rock a ascot. Rock a ascot. It was named my solo album. Did not do so well. Rock an ascot with B-Web. Rick Astley and I broke up, and then he did okay because I got Rickrolled. If you want to be a part of the show, 1-800-636-8686. But to get on the air, you have to impress the man who's already dancing. Garrett Ritt. Hit me up with an email. RomanHaveATake.com. Your tweets on the way in 20 minutes. That's B.W. Weber. Weber with two B's and a quick footnote to yesterday's program. Garrett Ritt should be my favorite person. After all, nobody enunciates more annoyingly than yours truly. That's why I slow down and say, rock an ascot. Hit those T's. 
Think about the guy who was running the show into the ground. Garrett Ritt. My favorite team is the Tennessee Titans. I wish Jason Witten had landed there. So I love saying Garrett Ritt. I want to say it for the right reasons. And if you are new to the program and you don't have the whole handbook of jungle history, and I play a very, very, very small role, maybe half a sentence, small, SML. Garrett Ritt used to be my producer at a now defunct national network. So we have a personal relationship that occasionally I take advantage of. So yesterday I was trying to be eloquent about some very important topic. And I glanced over to my right and I had the human beatbox who was not only rocking out to something, he was in full dancing. Oh, what a feeling. I don't need to see you with water coming down on you, my pal. So, we now have a footloose dilemma within the jungle. I'm suddenly John Lithgow banning dancing on this program. Here is the compromise we came up with that's already been violated because Ritt does not give a damn about what I say or anything else. I was hoping that we would limiting the bopping potentially to a couple of instances. Commercials where you can do whatever you want, coming in and out of break, and obviously, it's all gone to hell early on. So, with that, oh, Kenny Loggins. Can we just play the hits on a Friday? I'm going to see Kenny Loggins coming up to the Hollywood Bowl here in Southern California. We'll be heading into the danger zone. I'm feeling dangerous, so let's start with Baker Mayfield, then we'll get to the latest in the Deshaun Watson discipline matter with the NFL and the NFLPA having until Monday to submit additional written material to support their case to the federal judge. That's Judge Sue Robinson. After Monday, everything will have been turned in, and then we're waiting for the judge to come up with her finding, a reminder, that's not necessarily the final step, even though the NFL is trying to create the illusion now of due process and the perception of more fairness. If the league finds her finding to be unsatisfactory, they can appeal to, you guessed it, Roger Goodell or his surrogate. What do you think that person's going to do? You know, Roger, I really disagree, so I'm going to come up with my own independent finding. But the Baker Mayfield fallout continues to be intriguing on many levels. So yesterday I gave you the... Divorce analogy, I know it's a staple of sports talk radio, especially with filling hacks like yours truly. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. You can be a part of the program at 1-800-636-8686. Twitter's your best bet. That's B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Clearly, though, there's no other better way of framing what happened between Baker and the Browns than they split up, even though I think it would have been beneficial And a better outcome for both parties, both Baker and the Browns, if they had found a way to make it work. The other thing that stood out in terms of just how much they wanted to part ways was the financial foundation of the decision. So you probably heard by now, but the audience is always changing, that the Browns wanted to say goodbye so badly they are eating ten and a half million bucks of his salary. Baker agreed to reduce his base salary by $3.5 million. He can get it back, though, with incentives. But here's where things get more curious. We've been talking about 
the landing spots of Baker probably coming down to just two teams for the last three months, Seattle or Carolina. Now, I made the case Atlanta could have been interesting. I'm not a huge Baker Mayfield supporter. I think what he did in his rookie season was an aberration. I'm aware he set the new record for touchdowns thrown by a first-year starting quarterback. What you saw last year was more of what I think Baker truly is, although you have to add context. He was banged up and had the shoulder injury, so I'm willing to be open-minded to see what he does in a new situation with a fresh opportunity to make a first impression, not to fall into the same tendencies, according to reports, of worrying out his teammates and being prickly to deal with, and that I don't even care about personalities because I know my personality is not always scintillating. Shocking. Someone in sports talk radio would be hard to deal with. I'm just talking about what I have seen from Baker on the field. I think he makes poor decisions. He throws into narrow windows. I think he, to his credit, tries to make the most out of situations in which there's probably not a good outcome by extending plays and putting his body on the line. But sometimes you just have to throw it away and wait for a fresh set of downs. But that is the belief in himself. That is the tenacity. That has allowed Baker to overcome some significant limitations and a skill set that never warranted being the number one overall pick. But it's not his fault that Jimmy Haslam and the Browns don't know what they're doing. So, as we waited for Baker to be liberated, if you're part of Team Baker, free Baker Mayfield, and I guess now they have to shoot New commercials, he can't still live at the stadium in Cleveland, can he? Maybe he's just going to take over the entire NFL. He'll have his own fiefdoms in Ohio and throughout the Carolinas. We now find out, and I got this from ProFootballTalk.com with our conversation with Josh Alper, that fine media outlet coming up in hour number two of the program. They got it from a report from TheAthletic.com. We now have the TikTok, more of the chronology as to how this deal came together. And according to reports, Matt Rule and Ben McAdoo, who flamed out and failed spectacularly as the head coach of the Giants, new offensive coordinator of the Panthers, who was not a fan of Baker Mayfield publicly in his draft analysis, citing small hands, a weak arm, and not being fast enough for a quarterback who needs mobility. So I'm sure that's not going to be a problem, correct? Because Baker doesn't have a long memory. He's not going to file that one away. Hey, coach, what'd you really think of me coming out of Oklahoma? But the coaching staff had the consensus, if we're going to make this deal, let's do it during minicamps, OTA, so we can get Baker in here to learn our system. Instead, the holdup came from ownership. No need for a bake sale or a telethon for David Tepper. He's a billionaire. That's how you get to own an NFL franchise. Making money on Wall Street, private equity, hedge funds. When the money was lying in the street, all you have to do, fellas, is pick it up, put the microphone down. Coffee is for closers. According to this report, Tepper said, I don't believe in Baker Mayfield. Called him, quote, unquote, a depreciating asset. Oh, Baker's going to love that. Nothing like your new owner not even viewing you as a human being. Remember, corporations are people, according to guys like 
David Tepper and the Supreme Court, not to get too political, but Baker wasn't even, say, a player on the decline. He was, quote, unquote, a depreciating asset, a write-off for tax benefits. And Tepper said he wasn't going to approve the deal unless Baker took a $7 million pay cut. So what does that tell Baker Mayfield? Before he's even opened up a playbook as he's passed the physical. Other important item from that report. After the deal was done, according to The Athletic, the coaching staff has already reached out to Matt Corral, the rookie drafted in the spring, to say, you're still our quarterback of the future. Now, I understand the psychological goal there. You want to assuage a young guy and make him feel like he's part of the organization's long-term plans, understanding, as the great philosopher Jerry Glanville once said, NFL stands for not for long, as Baker Mayfield can attest, as Sam Darnold can validate, because Sam's going to be on team number three as the former third overall pick in 2018 after Baker went number one very soon. So, Baker is aware of all of these things, I can presume. Does it give him more motivation? Yes. And if you believe in the cult of personality that is Baker Mayfield, you're going to tell me on Twitter, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, my man has fuel. This is a catalyst. Vegas disagrees. Garrett Ritt, the only Panther fan in the world, actually did some work today, and he tells me that the view from Nevada... And if you're from the East Coast, it's a soft day. Nevada, the more you know, is that the Panthers under over for wins was five and a half, six, depending on which book you were looking at. It's moved to six and a half. So Baker's worth half a win from the view of the folks who know in the desert. Super Bowl odds, flat, didn't change. Eighth worst in all of football. More things that Baker can put up on his wall And cue up the music from Vision Quest, Alvy, as I run through the streets in Spokane, Washington. If you have your eyes on the prize, you can speak it into existence. How is it going to work? I'm trying to be fair with my analysis. I think Baker is the second best quarterback now in that division. With Tom Brady on his way to the Hall of Fame. I like Jameis Winston more than most of you do, but... I'm aware of the 30-for-30 he put together in his last year in Tampa Bay, and he's coming off an injury with Mariota at the bottom of the rung. But Baker's limitations aren't going to change just because he changed zip codes. And you are what you consistently do. And I, believe it or not, because I can relate to what pro athletes are thinking. After all, I am going to be in the Olympics for holding a microphone. I've gone through periods in my life where I've tried to mellow out. The staff is looking on in disbelief. Tried to be nicer. Maybe brought donuts to the studio as a peace offering. And I know in a half hour I'll be yelling at Rick because that's my personality. And it's hard to, even when you take a step back and say, let it breathe. I know you want me to breathe more. I speak quickly. It's hard to deviate from who you are and your own mental playbook that says, this is how I got here. So I have a lot of doubts, but it's going to be fascinating. And certainly Baker is an upgrade over Sam Darnold. I'm going to save the rest of the Deshaun Watson conversation because I didn't get there. I got consumed by Baker because he is sports talk media gold. We'll talk Watson to kick off our number two of the program. In addition to 
Monday being an important day, as I mentioned, the league and NFLPA are going to submit more written material to support their cases to the federal judge. We now have a very interesting report from a respected football journalist, part of our CBS Sports family, Justine Anderson, the NFL insider now for CBS Sports HQ, reports that there's a recording of the son of one of the dozen women interviewed by the NFL, and I'll get into all the details coming up. Remember, the NFL limited the scope of the content they provided to the judge, not the 24 accusers with the lawsuits. They only presented evidence from five women with the accusations, and they interviewed 12 on their own. Well, according to Josina, there is an audio recording of the son of one of the 12 women interviewed by the league saying his mother initially was complimentary of Deshaun Watson and then later changed her story. I'll tell you the implications, and a quick preview is the more and more you hear and listen closely, there's a growing feeling that the federal judge's ruling, whenever we get it, will not be a season-long suspension for Deshaun Watson. Maybe eight, maybe ten games, but remember, that's not the end of the process. Roger Goodell can still step in and drop the hammer. Stop hammer time. Talking Super Bowl odds for both the Browns and the Panthers, and that's the bottom, rock bottom, rock bottom. More interestingly, we'll take you to the elite teams and fill you in on who has the best-selling jersey in football and why I'm not convinced this player now landing in a new spot is going to make that much of a difference. 1-800-636-8686. couple tweets because I'm trying to honor the clock better and want to get to Jeff Zilgut in time. Bonjour. The clock. We go international. I feel the sports world needs a good old-fashioned Don Zimmer dome-bouncing brawl between the Yankees and the Red Sox to get the baseball juices flowing. Signed, your daddy. Well, we could use anything to make the Red Sox and Yankees actually interesting because Yankees won again last night. They have a 14-and-a-half game lead. Now, you can flip it if you know sports history. We're not August yet, but 13 games was the lead in 1978. For the Boston Red Sox, and then Bucky bleeping dead came to Fenway. You know the rest of the story. Greg from Northeast Wisconsin, neighbor of Jim's, writes, Brian, thank you for mentioning the passing of James Kahn yesterday, noting one of his best movies, Thief, probably my favorite movie of all time. Not many people know about a great Michael Mann film, excellent score, especially the ending. I don't want to get too sideways here, and I did acknowledge, and all I was late to it because we were focused on the program, and this will sound like a name drop. I was able to meet James Kahn once. He was everything you wanted him to be. He was Jimmy Kahn, and I didn't say hi, Jimmy, but he was a movie star, and we don't have those anymore. Tom Cruise is the last movie star. James Kahn, if you go back and watch Misery, which was his comeback vehicle, watch the original Rollerball. Obviously, you watch Godfather. But to me, Thief is a phenomenal movie. If you don't know Michael Mann, just think Miami Vice, Heat, the scene finally between Pacino and De Niro. And the other great thing about Thief is it was the debut of Dennis Farina, who was a cop in Chicago and so many remarkable roles, including uh, 
I could do the whole monologue right now, but I can't do it on terrestrial radio. Midnight Run as the gangster there. Serrano's got the disc. Serrano's got the discs. Sydney, have a cream soda. I'm going to stab you in the heart with a pencil. Segway. So I looked up the Super Bowl odds, not just to bash Baker Mayfield. And I told you the under-over hasn't moved anything of significance, depending where you're shopping for your sports investing. Prior to the Baker deal, Panthers, five and a half, six wins under-over. Now, six, six and a half. The Super Bowl odds, and obviously that's much more of a quintessential long shot, 200 to one. If you're interested in the Browns, 60 to one. At the top of the table, not the defending Super Bowl champs from Los Angeles, not the Buccaneers, your Buffalo Bills. I'm going to put Rit through a table just to celebrate that. And I get the logic there because while I didn't see the game, although I'm glad I listened on the radio, Kevin Kugler, if I could just give props to somebody in our business, was phenomenal on the call on Westwood One. Among the most dramatic games I ever heard on the radio through the desert of Southern California, driving from Arizona, Buffalo, Kansas City, a game for the ages. And you know, Buffalo could have won that game a variety of different ways. I still don't know why they kicked off with the squib kick with the closing seconds of regulation on the clock. And the Bills certainly, I think, would have handled the second half against Cincinnati in the AFC title game better than the Chiefs. I still don't know what happened in that game. And you could say credit the resolve and the belief that the Bengals had, but Kansas City gagged that game away, and you can't tell me otherwise. So if you're interested in sports investing, Buffalo now the favorite to win it all, followed by the Bucks, Chiefs, Rams, Packers at number five. That seems like a reach to me. I don't believe that the post-Devontae Adams era for Aaron Rodgers is going to be that smooth. Maybe that wonderful mystery of a tattoo that we detailed yesterday can guide him through all the ambiguity. And if you really want to be comprehensive, after the pack, you got the Chargers, the Niners, and the Broncos on that next tier. So Denver's there in the hunt. And since I love to come up with tidbits, a foundation for conversation, Saw this on the internet last night as well. The best-selling jersey in all of football belongs to Russell Wilson. Now, that makes sense for straightforward reasoning. Denver fans are incredibly passionate. Secondly, they didn't have Russell Wilson jerseys unless they wanted to buy a Seattle jersey and dye it orange. So what are realistic expectations for Russell Wilson this year in Denver? And before I get there, one more thought on Seattle. I'll take a phone call. Maybe that was Rit talking to Pete Carroll for five minutes because I couldn't get him to print any tweets. 1-800-636-8686. The ghost of Paul Allen was calling to say, no, I'm not going to sell the franchise. What are the Seahawks doing? Is it just as simple as thank you very much? A reminder, here's your QB one slash two. Geno Smith, who has learned the hard way, if you have a wager, you better pay up. When it's time to make sure that transaction is finalized. Or Drew Locke, who got owned on Twitter by 
a social media account from the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. And I am going to talk just a smidge of Wimbledon in the final hour of the program. At that point, you could turn your station off for five minutes. Russ leaving Seattle created a Hall of Fame void. But if you want to run a functioning NFL franchise, don't you have to start the season with something resembling a legitimate starting quarterback? And you could tell me Geno Smith's been the backup. He's earned the right. No, it's not a meritocracy on a big word Friday. You have to have some talent in the NFL. And Smith and Locke are not going to come close to having Seattle even be relevant this year unless you buy into the theory Jimmy Garoppolo could be the starting quarterback in Seattle. We're going to talk about that with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com about an hour from now. I know the counter-argument would be you don't make the trade within the division. Well, we have the Drew Bledsoe precedent. We have Donovan McNabb in the past. It can be done. And I think even more important, the Niners don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to burn them head-to-head, especially on a lousy team like Seattle. But... It's better to focus on teams that have a chance to win something. And Denver's got a solid roster. We know that there were the philosophical limitations with a defensive-minded head coach in Vic Fangio and the issue that John Elway, while he's a top-10 quarterback, other than paying for Peyton Manning to come to Denver in the twilight of his career, has never been able to manage the quarterback position. Paxton Lynch comes to mind, the king of the USFL, along with Jeff Fisher. Trevor Simeon can win the Academic Bowl as a seventh-round pick out of Northwestern. He's not winning in many games. So finally, there is a quarterback with Hall of Fame credentials in Russell Wilson. But even though we know about the defense in Denver, and if you look at the running backs, you got a one-two punch in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. There's a big differential, I think, in the weapons he's going to use at the wideout position because you don't have a freak like DK Metcalf anymore. You got more pedestrian players like Corton Sutton and Jerry Judy, Judy, Judy. But I think the bigger concern for Russ is the division he landed. Let's just run through it quickly together. And remember, it's not about Russ's marvelous range of talent. This is not a skills competition at the Pro Bowl. They're not playing one-on-one basketball or arm wrestling. It's the team composition of the rosters. But if we're just slotting the quarterbacks in the rugged AFC West, like I just did with Baker Mayfield in the NFC South, well, you got Mahomes, a Super Bowl champion. He's gone to another game. Probably should have gone to the Super Bowl again last year, but had that collapse against Cincinnati. I know they lost Tyreek Hill, but they picked up Marquez Valdez-Scanling. Raiders were a playoff team last year. You throw in a innovative offensive mind in Josh McDaniels, who was mellowed out, something Baker could do, according to reports, after it blew up for him his previous head coaching opportunity in Denver. Devontae Adams is going to stretch the field, and Carr's got a big arm. And the Chargers almost made the playoffs, but for the bizarre decision-making of head coach Brandon Staley, who thinks he is running through some computer simulation, put down your Commodore 64 and have an idea of where you are in the game. Some of the worst decisions ever in that insane final Sunday night game of the year that should have gone to a tie, but the Raiders 
were the beneficiaries of the Chargers chargering. But for all of my well-documented issues with this franchise, it was a sports crime. They left San Diego. I love the fact that the Spanos family is feuding. They should never have come to Los Angeles. They're irrelevant. L.A. Sparks, WNBA team, has a more passionate fan base than the Bolts. Show me your lightning bolt. Even I have to acknowledge Justin Herbert could win an MVP at some point. So... I'm not being contrarian fill-in guy. We know who Russell Wilson is. But the odds shift because of the public's perception. And you have thousands of Denver fans who love the Orange Crush. That's, in my estimation, as a amateur bookmaker. You want more of my insights. Listen to my podcast, The Morning Line with B-Web here on Odyssey. That's, I think, what is driving the shift in odds more so than an objective analysis of that division. I am Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. I don't gamble because I'm cheap, I don't have enough money, and I had to buy a new battery for my car. Oh, we have an update. We'll get there to start hour number two. I asked the mechanic, was there sugar in my gas tank? He said, no, Swiss Miss. Let's focus on the NBA. Looking forward to my first conversation with a reporter whose work I've enjoyed for a long time. It is Jeff Zilgit of USA Today. Jeff, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm well, Brian, and hope the same is true for you. I am doing well, and I'm happy to have you now opine on Kevin Durant. Because this is the third time this week I've been lucky enough to fill in for Jim. And I think I have gone round and round. So let me turn it over to someone with your level of expertise, and we'll start with the overview Wherever we think he might go, if we think, in fact, he's leaving Brooklyn, Jeff, given how complicated this could be, maybe a three- or four-team deal, how long do you think this process could take? Uh, I think it could drag out a little bit uh, through July. Um, and just to, because of the complications you just mentioned, and, and I think things got a little bit more complicated when Minnesota and Utah did that deal that sent Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves. And the Timberwolves sent out the equivalent of five first-rounders, one that just happened, and then four future first-rounders. I think that skewed the market. And, and now the Brooklyn Nets cannot get anything less, and, and they probably need more uh, or the equivalent of more than what Utah got in that deal. And I think that makes life very difficult for Brooklyn GM Sean Marks. And, and so it wouldn't surprise me, one, if it does drag out. And then, Brian, I think you alluded to it, and it also won't surprise me. And as I talk to executives and agents around the league who, you know, talk among themselves, talk with uh, other teams, talk with the Brooklyn Nets, that it's possible that Kevin Durant is on that roster when training camps open uh, in the fall. And I think ultimately that's the most likely outcome. But this is what we do in the summer in addition to overreacting based on two games about what Chet Holmgren is doing in Summer League, and I know you're on your way, but let's keep it grounded in Durant for a moment. Because I've gone through the hypothetical game time and time again, I've talked about Durant to Phoenix, Durant to Miami, Durant to Toronto. Should we be talking more about the Pelicans as a potential landing spot? We should be. And and, and now I think this comes down to it, and this is conversations I've had with people in the league as well. You're at the point where Durant's contract for an opposing team is really attractive. 
he's entering the first year of a four-year extension. So you know that, you know, this is not a, like Kawhi Leonard when Toronto acquired him, it's a one-year deal and then we'll see what happens. What the, the Pelicans have to weigh this risk is how much do you want the unhappy camper on your team? What's that going to do for the development of this team? You think about, you know, Zion returning. You think about a guy like C.J. McCollum on that team. And do you want someone who doesn't want to be there? And then are you also in a situation in short time, even if you take the risk and the gamble, in short time after a season, if he's that unhappy, wants out that in a year, New Orleans would be in the same situation that Brooklyn is in right now with a guy who wants out and now you're struggling to find the right deal for him. And so I think that's something that a team like the Pelicans needs to consider. If they find out that, hey, that Kevin is amenable and that he'd be willing to see how it plays out and he's not ruling anything in or out, you know, I do think it's something the Pelicans could take a closer look at. But if he's dead set on a list of teams and, and anything else will make him an unhappy player, uh, then you really have to be careful of how much you're going to give up in it, that kind of deal. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. We're talking NBA with Jeff Zilgit of USA Today. Jeff, the possibility of Kyrie Irving being dealt for Russell Westbrook is delicious on so many levels. Let's just stick to basketball. If yeah. Kyrie Irving gets his wish reportedly, and reunites with LeBron James, how much of an upgrade would Kyrie be over Westbrook just on the floor? I think it's a significant upgrade, and that would alter how I feel about the Los Angeles Lakers offseason. I I know giving out grades or winners and losers is really difficult. Um, I I think the Lakers are a to-be-determined kind of free agency right now, whether they're a winner or a loser. I think Kyrie would elevate them to a winner because – Regardless of we, what we think about Kyrie and some of the things that he says and does and his availability over the past three seasons, I mean, he's played in less than half the games the past three seasons for the Brooklyn Nets for a variety of reasons. But when he's on the court, he's one of the best players in the NBA. Um, and, and so I think that's an upgrade, and it would, it would elevate to me the Lakers um, to being more of a contender than the roster that is constructed right now and the one interesting thing that i'm hearing brian is this you know starts to play out is that the brooklyn nets are not getting lots of calls for Kyrie. the one team and i think it's a desperate team is the lakers who are interested on the other hand the brooklyn nets are making calls to other teams and they're just not getting a lot of traction teams are offering you know at the very least polite no's about the idea of acquiring Kyrie Irving. And when you look around the league, there just doesn't seem to be a good fit for him, except for the Lakers right now who are in desperate need of some kind of upgrade. Jeff, great information. I really enjoyed our first conversation. Safe travels to Vegas. Enjoy the summer league. I do a lot of fill-in work throughout the summer, so I hope we can chat again in the future. That's perfect, Brian. Let's do it. Thanks so much. Jeff Zilgit of USA Today. And as an egomaniac... He allowed me to not talk about Durant and Kyrie. Still, we got the insight, but uh, yeah, I'm digging ditches. I'm going to circle back to this in hour number two, but again, trying to present it differently because I know my people, all four of you, are with me for the entire three hours. Where were you when I had three versions of the Brian Weber show canceled? Here's how we'll attack this in the next hour of the program. 
let's just say Durant goes to Phoenix. Aren't the Warriors still the team to beat? We'll compare and contrast different scenarios. It is a Friday. That means it's an ATP day in addition to being a pocket square Friday. So a reminder, time to ask the pros. Were you the clones? Get to ask me a question brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Go to cbssportsradio.com slash ask the pros. Submit your question. Be listening later in the show. I might answer that question. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all your car care needs. Get guaranteed low prices and excellent customer service from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. But as a preview of our NBA conversation coming up in the next hour of the program, I think when we go through all the histrionics and all of the different possibilities, Kevin Durant is going to be on the Nets, and I think Kyrie's going to be with him. I'll tell you why I have those firm opinions coming up. I will weigh in on what I heard from Jeff Zilgit of USA Today. If you are playing your own fantasy GM at home, Throw up on your board of all of the connected dots, and you're solving the JFK assassination at the same time, and you have all the strings back and forth. You got Miami, you got Phoenix, you got Toronto, maybe uh, Boston. You have other teams involved for cap reasons. Do not overlook New Orleans. That's the name that's percolating now. We'll talk about that in 20 minutes. Garrett Ritt is doing his job because... I've allowed him to dance. I'm just that empowering. He can dance if he wants to. He can leave his friends behind. Red tells me we have some quality phone calls. I'm going to take a call in 20 minutes. So if you're on the line, hang in there. 1-800-636-8686. I can't destroy the flow of the program with the top stories at the top of the hour. More of your tweets on the way. We do interaction about 20 minutes into every hour when I'm lucky enough to be in the chair. That's B.W. Weber, Weber with two B's. So hopefully you've enjoyed what I've been doing. If not, I have some good news for the detractors. So my key card didn't work today. And I asked Alvin, he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to need that back. And I said, well, when I come back the next time, he goes, no, no, this just, you know, you can knock on the door. So there's a couple ways I can play it. I can be Baker Mayfield. I can try too hard. And I'll be doing local radio in Charlotte, North Carolina. Or I can just kind of let the show flow. I know, Rit, everything's about North Carolina, yes. I can just kind of go with it. I don't want to harsh your mellow, my man. So I have a business decision to make in the last two hours because next week, Blockbuster Radio, as Jim is off enjoying Lake Life in Wisconsin, DA is coming to L.A., I know our outstanding production team is working on that open right now for the television broadcast on CBS Sports Network. Let's see, what's the best old television analogy? Well, Johnny Carson, of course, took the Tonight Show from New York City to Burbank. Oh, here's the best one. I Love Lucy came to L.A. That's a great episode. When Lucy dresses up like Harpo Marx. Garrett Ritt is the Harpo Marx of the jungle. So in the time-honored tradition of show business, a star in New York is coming to Southern California. DA is here. Is Mraz coming in a Speedo over in the Pacific Ocean? I just threw up in my mouth. I don't want to think about that too much, although it's good content. Mraz is fabulous and very creative. And then JT the Brick is back towards the end of next week. So if you're not a fan, it's over just that quickly. Only a couple more hours 
of yours truly, and we'll see if I make the cut for August. And when I come back, if I do, although no key card has me a little bit antsy, I'll have a functioning automobile. Automobile? Automobile. Had car trouble the other day. Thought it was the battery. The battery. My helpful service advisor said, now there's something in your gas tank. Now, sugar is the way in the old days to mess with a catalytic converter. But if I'm going to point the finger towards Garrett Ritt, if Ritt had access to sugar, he's not wasting it on my car. He's just snorting that or mainlining it, right? That's going right into his veins. I did find it suspicious. There were traces of Swiss Miss. We could not get a DNA match. So I'm going to leave things right there. But I found it more than coincidental. I'm only here seven times a year. I can't start my car the other day. Hoodjiga, 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 hoodjiga. And there's a guy who's been dancing for the better part of every segment since I arrived on the scene. One hit wonder my butt. Exactly. Kajagugu will be joining you for the next edition of The Garrett Ridge Show. And yeah, you're, you should be more shiny shy. Stop dancing. Okay, quick update on Deshaun Watson. In advance of our conversation with Josh Albert from ProFootballTalk.com in 30 minutes. As I mentioned to start the program, but I'm aware the audience is always changing, especially during a holiday week. Two things to be mindful of. Monday, there will be a development, and because things continue to leak throughout this investigation, the NFL, along with the Players Association, the NFLPA, will submit their final written material to support their cases. The case for the league is a substantial punishment for Deshaun Watson. The counter-argument by the union is no suspension for Deshaun Watson. It's going to be up to Judge Sue Robinson to make her ruling, but that's not the final quote-unquote verdict in a football judicial sense because the modified disciplinary process allows the league to appeal what the judge rules to either Roger Goodell himself or his designee. And what's going to happen there? Presumably the league, if they don't like a limited suspension, and eight games is a ton, ten games is a lot, but we've heard throughout this process the league wants a year-long suspension or something even more ambiguous like a indefinite suspension. If the league does not like the ruling, they have the ability to bump it up to something more severe. I don't think, and we'll get confirmation from Josh Alper of ProFootballTalk.com, we're going to get clarity with a final ruling from Judge Sue Robinson for at least another week or two, and then the league can have their say. So if you're exhausted, I understand this is a difficult topic to discuss. We don't handle matters like this well in all candor in sports talk radio. We're not equipped to do it, most of us. I'm certainly part of that crowd. But patience, I think, is the only thing that I can advise now. And if you're a Brown fan, I know what you're hoping for. Let's get him on the field. He's went healthy, and when we see him, a top five, top seven quarterback in all of football, but we haven't seen him. Didn't play a single down all of last year in Houston and the possibility he's not going to play this year in Cleveland. Coming up in an hour, I'll tell you why I think the Browns are believing these reports that Watson will merely be out six, eight, ten games. Watson? That's why they're comfortable going with Jacoby Brissett. That's coming up. 
as we start the final hour of the program. 1-800-636-8686. Your tweets on the way in 15 minutes. I am Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. Let's shift to baseball. Now, I could do, but I don't want to steal my friend JT the Bricks act. I could do the, yeah, I was a Yankee fan in 1978. I was. Yeah, I got to go home early to watch on Channel 11 the one-game playoff at Fenway Park when Bucky Dent ripped the heart out of everybody in New England. So I still have some of the vestiges of being a sports fan. I don't like Boston in general. I don't like Boston sports fans. Hate is a strong word, but I'm happy when the Red Sox struggle. Because at least when the Red Sox were losers, you had that. Like the Cubs. You were different. You never won anything. When you win, you're just like everybody else. But if you've not looked at what's going on in baseball, coming off the Yankees' latest victory last night at Fenway Park, and they didn't even need Aaron Judge out with the mild calf injury, as the newspaper arrived at my one-bedroom apartment, yes, that's why I'm quoting black-and-white episodes of I Love Lucy. I'm just that old. For the kids out there, well, kids wouldn't know. For people who are 25, who want tattoos of bittersweet on the ribcage, the newspaper is the thing mom and dad used to have in their hands when they were talking to each other in the morning and they were nursing a hangover, hitting a fifth cup of coffee. That thing, the black and white thing that they throw in front of your house. I still get a newspaper. I looked at the standings and I knew this is a... Bizarre year in baseball. There's always been the disparity between relevant teams and lousy teams. But there are some abysmal teams beyond the normal random probability path we take through the course of 162 games. So the Red Sox don't have a chance unless you think it's 1978 in reverse. They're 14 and a half games behind the Yankees. The Orioles who have not been worthy of conversation since, what, Cal Ripken? Or they fake the power outage because Kevin Cosner was canoodling with somebody in the Ripken family? If you believe that theory, I don't. For the lawyers, I'm just throwing it out there. It's on the internet. Orioles are 20 games out. Royals 15 games out. They're terrible again after they won the World Series, what was it, seven years ago. Angels with Shohei Otani who deserves serious MVP conversation. And Mike Trout, the Mickey Mantle of his generation, are 17 back. The Oakland A's are 27 games out of first place. It's the first week of July. And I'll skip the National League, but you get my point. So baseball, 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 if you build it, they will come. Baseball has a seismic issue to address in addition to everything that is bogging down the quality of play on the field. And I'll do it in 30 seconds. You know what would solve this? A salary floor, a minimum level of spending that would require teams to put actual major league players, not the cheap replacement types that just got bumped up from triple a that's why the a's are essentially quadruple a this is not a major league product and we knew that was going to be the case when they traded away matt olson and the rest in the offseason but at baseball for all of their 
unmitigated goal to keep going back to the players saying, yeah, we need to change the economic system because the owners aren't making enough. And I don't blame the players for saying, no, I know what you're trying to achieve, a real salary cap, and the luxury tax acts like a cap. Well, if we're going to have a robust back and forth, how about a salary floor? Like every other league, you got to spend something to pretend like you care. But another reason why baseball is fundamentally broken, and here is the byproduct. Aaron Judge is having a season for the ages. Now, we have seen it over the years. Guys have unbelievable first halves. They slow down after the All-Star game. Question for Judge is going to be, can he stay healthy? That's part of the issue for the details of that mega deal he's going to sign when we get to the offseason. I am very surprised that the Yankees, for all of the terrible spending that they've done for decades, and suddenly now George Steinbrenner's kids want to be a bit more financially responsible, they should have paid Judge before the season started when he gave them that deadline. He's got 30 home runs already. On pays 462-63, and somebody's going to hand him a astronomical deal, all guaranteed, of course, because it's Major League Baseball we're talking about. So I'm really mystified as to what the Yankees' thought process was there. Yes, as we've discussed with Joe Sheehan of the Joe Sheehan Baseball Newsletter, and I'll talk about it with Bob Nightingale of USA Today in the final hour of the program, there's not a comp for Judge other than, say, Frank Howard years ago, somebody 6'7", 6'8", having long-term viability because of that massive frame, you can just look through the data that the analytics guys use, crunch the numbers, probability says he's going to break down. But that's tomorrow. That's years from now. Let's just talk about today. The Yankees are bludgeoning the baseball. Numbers that don't even make sense. Now, I'm always dubious as to the composition of the baseball itself because baseball won't tell us about, well, you know, this year we kind of stuck them all in humidors. It's this beautiful mystery as to how the ball is constructed, like Aaron Rodgers' tattoo. But let's just say, because it would be wonderful for the sport to try to be more relevant like it was A million years ago. I'm not going to cue up the theme to this week in baseball. How about that? And give you my memories of the baseball bunch and the San Diego chickens not walking through that door. But here's the problem for baseball. Once NFL training camps kick off, shows like this, other than Jim, he's always comprehensive, but the majority of national platforms go right to football because that's what you care about. Still, let's say Judge maintains his momentum, keeps up the pace, and we're in mid-September, and he's six home runs away from getting to 60. What's the conversation then? Because I remember I was doing an Oregon football game, Oregon at Stanford, Fox Sports Net, and I had to throw to Kevin Frazier, friend of the program, in the studio for a Mark McGuire update. Remember that magical summer into early fall? And the nation was hanging on every pitch. It's not going to be that way this time because we care about football even more. Football has become the gargantuan that consumes everything in its path, much more than it was in 1998. But let's just say Judge has the opportunity to get to 60. 
two final thoughts. What's the conversation going to be like then? What's the true record? Because I was there, as Howard Cosell once said. You know how I know what happened? I was there. Pack Bell Park, 2001. Bonds. Stadium was not full on a Sunday. 73 home runs. McGuire, you recall, got to 70. Sosa got to 66. Well, Bonds can deny it all he wants to. I covered him from the day he arrived at Candlestick Park in 1993 till I left the San Francisco Bay Area in 2003. You know what I noticed? His head got a lot bigger. Take a look at his body type. And yes, Greg Anderson was the best friend in the world. He went to jail. Maybe he had a financial incentive rather than share what may or may not have been going on with Barry Bonds. McGuire has been transparent. Sosa's a vampire now. We don't know what's going on with him. But that's going to be the primary conversation. What's the real record? And for most of us, and now I'm Bob Costas, I'm a purist, it's 61. So if Judge moves past that, he's the new home run king. But I just wonder, and I hope we have the opportunity to find out, if Judge, and we know everything's magnified in New York, especially with the pinstripes, what's that line from Catch Me If You Can? The Christopher Walken not the, the mice on the top of the milk observation. Why the Yankees win every game before the first pitch? Because the other team is mesmerized by the pinstripes. So if it's Judge, this gargantuan figure, with a shot to get to 60, 61, 62, yeah, it's a big story. But I don't think we're going to have cut-ins on an NFL game. Fox will do it because they have the Fox baseball package. It's just a shame the world has changed so much because in conclusion – when I got into this business, many of us, depending on which market you worked in in San Francisco, even with the Niners dynasty, we didn't talk 49er football in the exclusion of everything else until the end of the regular season of baseball. Baseball was still viable in September, and maybe Judge can put us in the wayback machine when I was watching first-run editions of I Love Lucy. Fred Nethel for the win. Good night now!